As we enter our time of reading and responding to God's Word, let us open up that time in prayer. Lord, as we come before your Holy Word, uh, Lord, we thank you for uh, the revelation that you have given to us through your Word, through your Spirit, and through the finished work of Jesus Christ, your Son. So, Lord, as we turn our attention to your Word this morning, we ask that through the preparation of singing and praying and the preparation that we began even before this morning to worship you, to respond and hear from you. Lord, we ask that it would be for your glory and your honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you would, open your Bibles to the book of Jonah. Jonah will be in Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 6 this morning. We are going to begin a new series this morning. If you are not familiar with where Jonah is, it's kind of in those Star Wars characters towards the end of the Old Testament. The prophets, the minor prophets, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum. If you are here and you do not have a copy of God's Word, I would encourage you to look underneath the seat that you're sitting in or underneath the seat in front of you. There should be a blue Bible there. I would encourage you to take that Bible, open up to page 861, 861. So again, we're going to start a new series this morning, five weeks, uh, Lord willing, walking through uh, the amazing book of Jonah. Uh, The Bible gives us very little background on Jonah. In fact, uh, other than the book of Jonah in the Old Testament, there's only one other place that speaks of Jonah that is found in 2 Kings uh, chapter 14. Uh, And it's only mentioned uh, in two sections of the New Testament, uh, in Matthew 12 and Luke 11. And in both of those sections, uh, really it's the same story from two different perspectives. Jesus is addressing uh, the unbelieving scribes and Pharisees, the religious group, if you will. And it's the unbelieving scribes and Pharisees that that are asking for a sign uh, from Jesus. And what Jesus does is he points them back to the story of Jonah, the prophet Jonah, and he says, Behold, something greater than Jonah is here. What an amazing statement. And it's that statement right there that reveals to us two very, very important things about the book of Jonah. One, it's a historical fact, right? There will be people that think that Jonah wasn't real, that it was some kind of mythical story because it included a big fish or different miracles, things like that. But, but if, if Jesus points back to Jonah as fact, historical fact, you know what? That's good enough for me, right? The second thing that we learn uh, from this statement that Jesus gave is that the central figure, the hero of the book of Jonah is the same hero that is throughout all scripture. It is the Lord himself, right? In fact, the uh, G. Campbell Morgan says this, Men have been looking so hard at the great fish that they have failed to see the great God, the great God. And that is our heart as we study the scripture, and specifically as we study through uh, the book of Jonah. Ultimately, the book of Jonah is about the story of the gospel. We see both sin and grace, sinking and salvation, desperation and deliverance, running and rescuing. And this morning, as we open up the book of Jonah, specifically verses 1 through 6, that's, that's where we find the prophet Jonah. Jonah is really running from the Lord. And just like Jonah, at times, we're running as well. Sometimes we run from responsibilities. Other times we run from hard uh, relationships or uh, strained relationships. Sometimes we're running from the hurts from the past. Sometimes we're running from the unknown uh, fears of the future. But oftentimes, if we really peel back all those layers of why we run, ultimately, we're probably running more from God than we acknowledge, right? We're running from God himself. Have you ever tried to run from the Lord? Welcome to the story of Jonah. So let's read our verses uh, 1 through 6, and we'll begin to unpack them. Beginning in verse 1, the scripture says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. 
But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into, the, went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Verse 4. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they, were, and they began hurling the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came down and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And so from our passage this morning, we're going to look at uh, four aspects or four truths when it comes to uh, running from God, right? And so the first one that we're going to see in this passage is running from God is a sin. It is a sin. When we consider running from God, regardless of the reason or the method, because we can run from God in many different ways for many different reasons, we must acknowledge it for what it is. Running from God at its core is our attempts to be our own God, our attempts to call the shots in our life. And at the end of the day, we're choosing to trust in ourselves rather than trusting in him, and that is a sin. Now see how this plays out in Jonah's life, beginning in verse 1 again. The scripture says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So let's get a kind of a mental picture of what's happening here. I have a map. It's not the greatest map, but it hopefully will help you. And so to your right, you'll see a place called Gath Hefford. That's uh, Jonah's hometown. We're not sure exactly if uh, this is where Jonah is at the time of the book of Jonah. Uh, more than likely, he's probably in Samaria, which would have been the capital of Israel, the northern kingdom. Uh, and that would have been about 50 miles uh, south of Gath Hefford. But just so you can see kind of where that's at. And God calls him to go to Nineveh. Uh, to the east there, uh, and what does Jonah do? He chooses to go down to Joppa, and then ultimately to Tarshish, to Spain. Uh, we don't know exactly where Tarshish is. Uh, in fact, uh, if, if Jonah could have gone further, guess what? Uh, he would have attempted to gone further. So that's kind of a mental picture of what we see in the life of Jonah. But here's what we find as we study uh, the, God's word, and specifically the book of Jonah. Uh, anytime we're running from God, ultimately it's about the heart, right? It, it's, a, it's a matter of the heart. That's why we run. If we're running this morning, no matter what it is, no matter how far we've gone, no matter how long we've been doing it, we ultimately have a heart problem. Now that heart problem gets exposed in two primary ways uh, in these verses. Uh, first, we ignore the word of God. We ignore the word of God. Again, the scripture says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish. Now God's word is pretty clear to Jonah, right? Think about the commands here. Arise, go, and speak, right? It's pretty simple. The key is the word arise. The word arise is, God is not communicating in that word arise that if you just happen to be around this place, uh, why not just kind of, you know, take a day or two and just go check it out. That's not what he's saying. The word arise here is stop what you're doing, reorient your thinking, and go, right? So this is God speaking to Jonah. I want you to stop and go. And when we think about where Jonah is in relation to Nineveh, that's about 500 miles, 550 miles to the east, but he chooses to go the direct opposite way, roughly 2,000 miles uh, to the west. And like Jonah, the word of the Lord has come to us, right? Now, he doesn't necessarily speak to us in audible form. However, we do have God's word. We have his spirit living in us as his children. 
And when we think about that, we, we hear the words of, of the author of Hebrews in Hebrews 4, where the scripture says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of the soul and of the spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So the word of God is a sword. Right? It is our weapon. It is a powerful weapon. It cuts to the very attacks and lives of Satan. God's word is true. It's alive, and it exposes the depths of the human heart. That's what it does. The word of God assesses the true heart of man. It exposes what others can't see, and guess what? It exposes that what we often can't see in ourselves, right? That's what God's word does. God's word is sufficient. It teaches us what is true. It leads us to the path of truth. It exposes error in what we believe. It corrects us by restoring us. It picks up all the fallen pieces of our life, right? Of what sin creates in our life. It restores us back to how God originally designed it to be, right? It convicts, it corrects, and it restores. We have the word, Jesus Christ himself. God speaks through the person and finished work of Christ. As we see the gospel, as we see God's word, we must remind ourselves over and over again that Jesus is the hero of the story. In fact, the beginning of Hebrews says it like this, Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. Through him also he created the world. And so when we think about how God spoke to Jonah. Here's what we need to understand. When God spoke to Jonah, Jonah heard every word, right? And here's the point. We often disobey not because we don't understand, but because we do, right? Let that sink in for just a minute. You know, for many of us, we don't need to hear another sermon. We have enough truth. The question is, are we obeying what God has told us? He's called to go east, he went west. He's directed to travel over land, he chooses to go out to sea. He's uh, called to go to that great big city, Nineveh, and yet he chooses to go to the opposite direction into a faraway land, right? So we can ignore God's word. Uh, the second way that we can expose a heart problem in our life is we reject the love of God. So not only rejecting the word of God, but we reject the love of God. Now understand a little bit of a history of what's happening in the book of Jonah uh, the North, uh, the God's uh, people have been divided into two kingdoms. You have the northern kingdom, Israel, and the southern kingdom, Judah. Uh, and the northern kingdom uh, had, really didn't have any representation of a king. Uh, in fact, uh, they had a great enemy to the north of them. That would be the Assyrians, where uh, Nineveh is located. And, and the enemy just kept pressing and pressing and pressing and pressing against God's people. And God's people are where they're at because of their disobedience. And uh, uh, in the midst of that pressing, two things began to happen during uh, Jonah's day. Uh, they be the, the board, their borders began to shrink, shrink back. They were losing land, if you will, and economically they were in uh, great distress. And it's through that that God speaks to Jonah, uh, and he gives Jonah a word to speak to Jeroboam II, who's the king at the time uh, in the northern kingdom. And we see that in 2 Kings chapter 14, verses 23 and 25. And, and basically, the, the prophecy is this. Uh, God is going to regain your borders, right? The land that was lost is now going to be restored. Uh, the economic uh, oppression that you've been feeling, uh, you're going to go back to a time of great prosperity. And, and realize this, it's not because God's people repented, right? It's because God is gracious, right? He is merciful, right? And so, I mean, can you imagine that type of prophecy before the king? I mean, everything's great, right? Now, here's the issue. God gives him a different prophecy to go, to go to Nineveh, to go to the people who are wicked and evil, to the, to the very people who are oppressing you. And, and Jonah's like, why? How could this be? 
And so how is it that, that God, you're calling me to share a word of uh, prosperity and regrowth and gaining what was lost, and now you're calling me to go to the very people who are against us and really against you? So Jonah rejects God's love in two ways. How is that so? One, Jonah rejected God's love for himself. You see, Jonah was given a promise, but because of the circumstances, he chose to reject God's love and run. Have you ever been there before? When life is extremely tough and the decisions that you need to make seem to be uh, so tough in life, uh, you don't see, you don't understand, uh, it's hard to understand all the different facets of it, and in the midst of all that, you lose the very thing that you need to hold on to the most. God's love for you. God's love for you. And because he forgot that, he began running. The second thing that uh, Jonah rejected was God's love for the Ninevites. Jonah doesn't run because he's afraid of failure. In fact, Jonah doesn't run, or Jonah chooses to run because he's afraid of success, right? When we continue reading the story of the book of Jonah, we see the heart of why Jonah chose to flee in the first place, right? It's not because he's afraid. It's because he hates the Ninevites. In Jonah chapter 4, verse 1-2, the scripture says this, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are gracious. You are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. So Jonah doesn't want God to do what only God can do. Draw people to repentance. In other words, Jonah doesn't agree with God's heart towards them. He wants his heart towards himself, but he does not want God's heart for them. In other words, if I were God, I would be doing something different. I would make those guys suffer greatly. And yet, in the midst of, in many ways, his patriotism to his own people, he forgot God's heart for the nations, right? Go back to Genesis 12, and you see God's heart for the nations, not just his own people, the Jews, the Israelites, but to the nations, to the Gentiles. He forgot that. Why? Because first and foremost, he forgot God's love for himself, and the byproduct of that is we forget God's love for those around us. In other words, God will call us to love hard people. He will call us to love hurtful people and people that have nothing to offer us. And if we struggle with rejecting God's love for ourselves, we will always struggle with rejecting God's love for those around us. It may be your spouse. Maybe a parent has wronged you at some point. Maybe a child or a coworker. Someone has hurt you deeply. And the question is, do you trust God enough to not only love you, but to love them? Now, that doesn't mean you don't have to set up different boundaries and guardrails and different things. That's, that's not what I'm saying. But the question is, when we begin to ignore the word of God and uh, reject the love of God, guess what? We will find ourselves running, running, running. And so running from God is a sin. The second thing that we see in our passage this morning is uh, running from God is a downward progression, downward progression. Uh, notice how this happens in verse 3 and verse 5. Uh, verse 3, the scripture says, But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Verse 5, But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the author, the, Jonah, is what we think. Jonah is strategically putting that word down multiple times for a very important reason. The message is clear. Running from God always leads what? It leads to a downward trajectory. And notice how quickly... This drift happened, right? Jonah rose, he went, he found, he paid a fare, right? 
He's on his way to Tarshish, right? It almost seems like there's no breath to get from wherever he was, Samaria or his hometown, Gaffer, and to Joppa and on the ship and going, right? There's no break. There's no side scene that's happening. It's just one thing after another thing after another thing. Oftentimes, our desires to run from the Lord go exactly like that, right? There is no break. There is no stop. It's just a continual path. You see, once we have given ourselves permission to disobey God, one, word, one wayward step leads to another wayward step. And each step continues to build on the next one. And the further you run, the farther down you go, right? And at the end of verse 5, we find that Jonah is below deck. Scripture says he's fast asleep. Uh, the Hebrew language is a little comical here because it, it communicates that he's in a deep sleep. He's snoring, right? You ever had one of those in your family, right? Just, I mean, just oblivious to everything that's going on around you. Uh, it, it really is communicating that, that that flight from God, that cycle of that downward uh, spiral that he was on because he kept disobeying the Lord and kept running from him, it's like that numbing effect that happens, that you're so numb to the things of God that, that you are literally asleep, right? Asleep at the wheel, in a sense. The question is, why is Jonah sleeping? He's exhausted, right? Battling against Satan can sometimes be very tiring. But battling against God is always exhausting, right? Anytime we're going against him, it is going to be exhausting. We see this in the life of King David. King David uh, committed uh, sin towards Bathsheba and Uriah, his own people. He's holding it in. He's uh, not being honest about what's going on. And we get uh, a little glimpse of what uh, King David experienced in the midst of all that. Psalm uh, 32, uh, the scripture says, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of the summer. And David sinned. He hid from it. He's running from God. And David says, man, I'm depleted. In other words, I'm, I'm running on empty, right? How many of us this morning, because we're running from God, are depleted? We're running on empty. We're longing for that deep place of joy. We're longing for that deep place of peace. We're longing for that deep place of purpose. But it just seems to be right beyond our grasp. It's like getting 3D glasses, right? We don't wear those all the time. But if you ever go to a 3D movie, you put them on, and it's like stuff's right there. So you actually start grabbing at it, right? And you've got to take your lens on. All right, where are we at here, right? That's kind of what it is when we're running from God. We find that we are quick to complain, right? Quick to get angry. Quick to have a negative disposition. Quick to get bitter or apathetic. Sometimes in our running, we isolate ourselves from the people around us. So the question is, what is your Tarshish? What is it that you're running to? The deeper question is, why are you running in the first place, right? What is it that you're rejecting about the Lord? Where are you hiding? And here's the key. Again, I said that there are different uh, reasons and different methods that we run. I think one of the ways that we run from the Lord is through religion, right? Through religious activities. Because we are not convinced that God loves me, that I got to stay really busy to kind of prove to him that I'm worthy, right? So sometimes we hide behind religion. Sometimes we hide uh, b- behind uh, busyness. Again, that ties into that. Sometimes we hide behind our image, right? Because we're not convinced that God in Christ has fully accepted me, fully approved of me, that I have to somehow convince the people around me that I'm worthy, and so we get into that downward spiral of what? Our image. Maybe it's through a, a relationship. Sometimes we, again, we, we pull ourselves away from people. So there's different ways that we run. 
But at the end of the day, we find that that running leads us to a place not going. You know, the sad part is that Jonah thinks he's fleeing uh, for his life, but in fact, he's actually fleeing from his life, the very life that God had called him to, the, what do, God's desire was for him. Most scholars say that this trip, if he would have fully been on it, uh, it would have taken roughly three years to get to Tarshish and back with all the stops. So we're, we're talking about a long journey, right? It's not a small little getaway. This is a long journey. And think about how draining that journey is. And Jonah's running, he lost the blessing of humility, right? His great enemy was pride. Through that entire journey, right? He had opportunity after opportunity to say, God, I'm hurting, I'm mad, I'm angry, I don't like what you're asking me to do. He could have been completely honest. You read the Psalms, you get honest people, right? But he doesn't do that. He suppresses, he flees, he goes. Why? Because he lacked the blessing of humility and he grabbed a hold of the enemy of pride. I'm going to do it my way. In other words, he absorbed the wisdom of the world and not the wisdom of God. And we see a picture of this in James chapter 4. The scripture says, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is uh, to no purpose that the scripture says he, he yearns uh, jealousy over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. In other words, it's not easy. Let's be honest. It's not easy to turn from self-centered pride of life and allow the Lord to humble us. That's not an easy process, right? But when we do, we'll find a storehouse of God's grace. Right? We'll find a storehouse of God's grace. His grace never runs out. His grace is for every need that we have. So there's grace for the wounded. There's grace for the broken. There's grace for the hurting. There's grace for those who are tired. Right? But you can't continue to live in pride. And that's what running does. Running puts the emphasis on us and not the Lord. God is jealous for our affections. And he is faithfully committed to pouring out his grace on us. And when we choose to run, when we choose to flee, whatever it is that God has called us to do, guess what? We're removing ourselves from experiencing the grace that God has for us. So running from God is a downward prog uh, progression. Third, running from God can seem right at the time, right? You ever experienced that before? I mean, most of the time we see it in other people's lives, right? They're explaining us all these things. And, well, God told me God give me peace. And uh, I don't think so. Uh, that's contrary to God's word. Um, but guess what? We're, we're just as guilty as that, right? Sometimes running from God seems right at the time. And that the point is that we have an enemy, right? We have an enemy that wants to make us content with running from God. Consider how easy everything just seemed to line up for Jonah. It says, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and just happened to find a ship going to Tarshish. It just happened to be there. I started thinking about this. Uh, my wife and I, we were uh, in China uh, five and a half years ago. And uh, one night we were in Beijing and we were out with another couple and uh, it was getting late. It was pushing 11, 1130. Uh, and you're just talking millions of people. I mean, we didn't see them all at one time, but there's just people everywhere, right? And, and we, we, all we had was a little card in Chinese that said, all right, we need to go here, right? We didn't even know what it said. We just know that's where our hotel is. And they said, you just show it to the cab driver. They're going to get you where you're going. Well, we tried that. And many cabs stopped by and many cabs left us sitting there, right? And about that time, we're getting a little nervous because we have no idea where we're going. Finally, a gentleman comes up who spoke English, looks at our card, and he says, nobody wants to take you there because it's right there, right? Like, it's like right around the corner. And uh, so thankfully, he was able to take care of us. And uh, it was like one obstacle after another. Here's what we find oftentimes when we're running from God. At times, we will see open doors in the midst of our rebellion and our running from God. But we must not be deceived. Every open door isn't God's will, right? 
And sometimes we convince ourselves of that. That when we start to fade away from the Lord, that God may give us a career, or God may give us, you know, whatever, a certain platform, and we just, oh yeah, God is all in this. Listen, when you're running from God, you're running from God. Right? And so you have to, again, call it what it is, it's a sin, and just because those things begin to line up in your life, it doesn't mean that it's God's will. Rationalizing your sin by convincing yourself that nothing is stopping you isn't a wise place to be, right? When you're looking for transportation away from God, Satan and the desires of your flesh will find it each and every time. It reminds me of a passage in the book of Proverbs. Now, the context is a little bit different, but we'll see the application. In Proverbs 16, 26, the the scripture says, a worker's appetite works for him. His mouth urges him on. Now, the immediate context is that of work. In other words, don't be lazy. And one of the reasons why we work, one of the motivators why we work is why? Because we want to feed our mouth, right? We want to eat. Uh, In a similar way, when we choose to run from God, we will go to great lengths to keep feeding whatever that place is that we're running from, right? In your flight from God, what highway are you on this morning? Are you on a highway of sexual immorality? If that's the highway that you're on, there's a pathway already built for you, and you will find it every time. Are you on the highway of bitterness and envy? Guess what? That pathway is already built for you, and you will find it every time. Are you on the highway of self-righteousness or self-absorption? There is a pathway already built for you, and you will find it every time. It'll get you there every time. And at the time, it seems right, right? Why? Proverbs 16, 25, the verse right before the one we just read. There's a way that seems right to man, but it ends is the way of death. Think about where Jonah ran to. He ran to Joppa. Now, Joppa is not a, uh, a seaport that the Israelites had. This is, this is the, the, the Gentile seaport. And so the chances of bumping into someone that he knew or somebody that knew him was slim to none, right? No one would have known him. No one would have reminded him of who he was or who he was supposed to be. He simply wanted to escape, and so he's running. And when we're running from God, we will do the same thing. We will start avoiding the very people that will hold us accountable, right? We'll go to new places. Sometimes we'll go from job to job, relationship to relationship. Sometimes we'll move from one location to another. Sometimes we'll just church hop all over the place, right? Because we're running, running, running. We want to go where nobody knows our name, right? Why? So that we can continue to hide. And so in the book of Jonah, what we see is we, we see how important Christian fellowship really is. Proverbs eleven fourteen says, where there is no guidance, a people falls. But in the abundance of counselors, there is safety. You know, one of God's safeguards against uh, sin's deceit is what? Christian fellowship. Not once do we see in the early pages here where Jonah is stopping and praying to the Lord. Not once is he seeking counsel from those who love the Lord and and desire to honor the Lord. None of that. He's removing himself from any influence that will tell him you're going the wrong way, right? That leads us to our fourth truth this morning. Running from God is costly. It is costly. Trying to live without God never leads to freedom. It always leads to slavery, and that slavery is very, very costly. Verse 3 again. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going there. So he did what? He paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. When we decide to disobey God, there's always a boat going to Tarshish, right? Always. And there's always room for one more passenger, right? And we can be guaranteed a way out of town every time, but we're always going to pay a fare. Fleeing from God always has hidden fees. It's the toll road of life, right? Uh, our family went to Miami uh, last year, and one of the things that we, 
did was we drove in a car all over the place, and you, they have these toll roads, right? And you don't stop anymore. They just take a quick picture of your license plate, and somehow, I don't even, if the, the DMV can't figure out a lot, but it can figure out this. Like, it can somehow send me a bill in Charleston for what I did in Miami when I didn't sign up for it. I knew what was happening, and it's just a flash. And the kids are like, oh, it's so awesome. Yeah, but we're paying for each one of those, right? That's the same thing with fleeing from God. There's always hidden fees, right? It's a toll road of life, and it's very, very costly. You see, running from God affects our relationship with God. The greatest consequence, the greatest tragedy of all this is it says that multiple times, Jonah went away from the presence of the Lord. Now, Jonah's a prophet. He has enough biblical knowledge about God. He can't escape. Many of us know the same thing, right? God is everywhere, right? Jonah is trying to do the very thing he can't do, right? He's trying to escape the presence of God. Psalm 139, verses 7 through 12 says this, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I free from your presence? The answer is what? Nowhere. Nowhere. How do we know? Verse 8, If I ascend into the heaven, you're there. So talk about the north. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. Talking about the south. If I take the wings of the morning, so talking about the rising of the sun in the east, and dwell in the other most parts of the sea, talking about the west, the Mediterranean, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right uh, hand shall hold me. So God, God has designed a relationship with us in such a way that we can never escape them, right? And praise be to God for that. Jonah didn't get out of God's abiding presence, but he did get out of God's anointing presence, meaning it cost him God's presence, power, peace, purpose, and joy. And that's the same that is true for us. When we choose to run, we are losing that experience, losing that assurance that we're, we are exactly where we're supposed to be, right? And the very thing, one of the greatest things, blessings that we have from the Lord is he wants our joy to be full. He wants it to be overflowing. Psalm uh, 1611 says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. In other words, that God has given us truth, right? And as we walk in that truth, we experience the fullness of the Lord. When we get away from it, when we flee from him, guess what? The very thing that God desires for us is the very thing that we are sacrificing. It's very costly. Not only that, running from God affects your relationships with your family, right? Think about it. Jonah chose to leave everything, right? Now, we don't know if he had wife, kids. We don't know any of those things. But he, uh, he, he left everything to go to Joppa, to flee to Tarshish. He left everything behind and ended up at the bottom of a ship. Do you think that that was his game plan, step one? No, because one step led to another step, to another step, to another step. That's exactly where he's at. There's no telling where we will end up when we run from God. And in the midst of running, the people that love us the most will be hurt in the process. And that hurt is deep. And it is destructive. And in the midst of his rebellion, we see, uh, and we'll look at verses 4 through 6 in in a different perspective next week, but just hear what happens in verse 4 again. It says, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a what? A mighty tempest, a mighty storm on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. The storm was so violent that the way the Hebrew language explains that the, the ship threatened to break up, it's almost like the ship itself had feelings. That the ship itself was scared. It was afraid. Why? Because the, the violent storm was so great. And here's what we find. Violent storms have a way of exposing what's underneath the surface, right? Think about a hurricane. When that hurricane comes wiping through and things get turned up, all of a sudden you discover things that nobody knew that were there. So it affects our family. Running from God affects our relationships with others. Verse 5, then the mariners were afraid. So these are people that don't know the Lord, right? And each cried out to his God and they were hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them, but Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and, had, and was fast asleep. So they're, they're getting, I mean, they're in 
full-on survival mode, right? They, the, their very livelihood, how they survive, how they make a profit, how they live, what are they doing? They're hurling everything off the ship, right? So they're in complete survival mode. Your sin, your running from God, not only affects you, it affects other people. Jonah's flight from God put everyone in danger, right? The storm didn't just affect Jonah. It affected all areas of his life, starting with God and going down to others. Our sin is never private, right? And what we'll find is that private sin begins to get exposed and it becomes very, very public. And running from God keeps us from being the very people that God desires us to be, what he delights in, what we delight in, And there's great desperation in that flight. Verse 6, it says, So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? In other words, how can you possibly be sleeping, right? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And we'll talk more about verse 6 next week. But uh, the reality is when you are asleep, you are unaware of all the destruction that is occurring, right? You have no idea. And running from God is costly. You know, when you're in a deep sleep, the one thing you don't want is an alarm clock, right? And there's Jonah. Deep sleep, full-on rebellion from the Lord. The warning's going out. Why are you sleeping? Why are you sleeping? Arise, the same thing that God had said at the very beginning of the book of Jonah. It's almost like God is using this individual for a divine purpose, and we'll see that some more next week. But think about this. Running from God is a sin. If God is not your Savior, something else will, right? In Jonah's mind, he was thinking, I have a ticket out of here. I can go. I can relax. And yet, with God, it is not that simple, right? It's a downward progression. If you want to run from God, there will always be a ship ready to take you. And it gets further and further and further and further down. So we must not underestimate the power of the drift. Sin will always take us further than we want to go. It's slow and subtle, but it's very destructive. And that cost is very, very great. And it's in the midst of that that we'll close with this. Our only hope is to stop running from God and start running to him. The good news is that no matter what you've done or how far you've drifted, God always welcomes those who turn to him. That's what we see in the cross. The prophet Isaiah says it like this in Isaiah 53, verse 6, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquities of, of us all. You know, one of the things that we hopefully will learn as we study the book of Jonah is, guess what? We're just like Jonah, right? We're just like Jonah. We're runners just like him. But by the grace of God, that's who God welcomes in, right? That's whom he receives. And I'm going to ask two questions as we close. Where do you find yourself running from God? Where? I'm telling you, he's throwing up warning signs after warning sign. The question is, Are you going to humbly submit yourself to him? Are you going to humbly submit yourself to him? Second question. What would happen if you stopped running? Right? What would you, what would happen in your life if you actually stopped running? I mean, that's an important question to ask. I'll close with this passage. It's about the heroes of the faith in Hebrews 11 and going into Hebrews 12. It talks about Uh, the importance of surrendering everything in faith, surrendering everything at the foot of the cross so that we can run well. Scripture says in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Listen, God has a race for you. He has a path for you. And it's not a ship going to Tarshish. There There is a path that God has designed for you. Doesn't mean it's not difficult. Right? 
But with God, it's not impossible, right? He is able. He is able. So stop the running. Second, let us in faith continue to focus and trust on what matters most, Jesus Christ. Verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Listen, that's where our focus needs to be. So be honest with your anger. Be honest with your grief. Be honest with all the things that you struggle with. Stop running. Stop fleeing. Surrender to the Lord. Put your focus on him. And the same joy that Jesus experienced as he obeyed the Father to completion is the same joy that you and I can have in him, right? Do you see the evidence of God's mercy and grace? That's what we're going to see, really, next week as we continue to unpack chapter 1. Listen, God doesn't want you to run anymore. And there's a million reasons why you want to continue to run. But there should only be one reason why you stop. That's because he loves you. He loves you. So as a follower of Christ, if you're running, will you be honest with him? Do you recognize that it's a sin? Do you recognize that it's a downward progression? Do you recognize that, that just because things seem right doesn't mean it's right? And do you realize how costly it is? Will you surrender that to the Lord today? If you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, listen, Jesus Christ is the one you need to be running to. The cost of your rebellion is eternal separation from him. That's where your flight is taking you. That's where your running is taking you. But it doesn't have to be that way. Jesus Christ has finished every work that needed to be done for your benefit and for mine on the cross. Will you surrender him today? Will you confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life? Will you receive the grace and mercy that you have in him? Let us stand and sing. The altar will be open. I'll be up here to pray for you.